morning as we, please stay standing as we read from God's word this morning. Romans 2, 25 through 29. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit and not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, just again reminded of your faithfulness to us and your love towards us, Lord, that you sent your son to die for our sins while we were still sinners and enemies of you. Thank you for what you have done. Lord, too often in our pride we seek to justify ourselves, yet you show through your word that the only way that we can come to you is through your son. And you have graciously made that possible. So Lord, we pray this morning as we look at your word that your spirit would work in our hearts. Father, may your word be true. Lord, may your word be proclaimed and may your word work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning. You guys take a seat. Uh, my name is, is Pastor Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the teaching pastor. And uh, this morning, we get to continue our message, or our sermon series, Through Romans. All right, and if, as we read through the passage, you may have noticed one word that kept popping up. All right? I hear some chuckling already. It's the word circumcision. All right, we'll just get it out in the open right now. The word circumcision. So I'm guessing this morning when you woke up and came to church, you were like, I'm, I guess what we're probably going to talk about today is circumcision. All right, that thought probably didn't go through anyone's mind, yet here we are, and this is what we're going to talk about, all right? Because as you read through that, as I did a study and did a word search, circumcision or a variation of that word appears 10 times in the whole book of Romans. So it's not a key book of the whole book of Romans, but of those 10 times, all 10 appear in these five verses. All right, so we do have to cover it, right? We do have to cover circumcision. And we have to talk a little bit about what it means and why it's such an important deal. But when I was thinking about it, I was like, man, how are we going to bring this up? I mean, I even brought this up in a pastor's meeting because I was like, how, how are we going to talk about circumcision? And, and as soon as I brought that topic up, which pastor do you think knew exactly what tools were used for a circumcision? Pastor Andy. All right. That was the first thing out of his mouth. He's like, oh, it's a this and this, right? I was like, I don't know. I have never performed a circumcision and hope to never do so in my life. But he knew the tools. He's like, I'll Google it to make sure. A word of warning based on Andy's facial expression. Do not Google the tools that are used for circumcision. All right. Unless you have like turned images or safe search on. 
I did not look, but based on his facial reaction, I wouldn't suggest it. And so we're thinking through like circumcision. What does it mean? And even my, my friend, some of you know, Louie down in South Africa, he's a missionary down there. He's like, oh, I could give you a ton of stories. He's like, the Kosa people down here, that is a right of manhood. They do it at 18. And all the guys are like, oh, man. Yeah, 18, it is what makes you, turns you into a man. And it involves a witch doctor, traditional beer, spells, and a sharp stone. Like a stone, not a knife, stone. And so that, it was like, man, I am thankful I live where I am. And it's before I can remember anything. So just so we delay the groundwork very briefly, to define what a circumcision is, it is, right, it is a surgery that is performed on normally young boys, very, very young boys, and it's the removal of the foreskin, all right? And I'm going to leave it at that. If you need further explanation, you can talk to someone else or email Pastor Andy, and he'll tell you more, all right? He's not here this morning, so I can say that. But you can pray for him because he's not feeling well. So uh, I don't think he was skipping out because he thought I was going to send people to mass that. But circumcision, all right, the word we keep saying, it sounds weird, it's hard to say, but it was an important right, okay? And this is why it's so important. This is why it's mentioned here. Why is it so important? Why is it a big deal to the people that are originally reading Romans? Or why is it even a big deal for us? The right of circumcision was a big deal to the Jewish people because it was a sign of the covenant that God gave Abraham back in Genesis 17, And if you read through that, you read when God gave this covenant to Abraham, he told him that this would be a sign that you will be my people. You are set apart for me. And the circumcision was that sign. And so rightly so, they performed that. They obeyed that right. And it was very important and is very important. So it's it's not a bad thing, right? It is not a bad thing that they they followed it. And in Genesis 17, Abraham was circumcised when he was 99. And Ishmael, was, his son, was 13. And then from there on out, it was performed. On the eighth day, it was the law that it was given. The eighth day, boys were circumcised. And so this was something very important. It was an obedience to a command that God gave them. But as we see, right, as we've been going through the book of Romans, we see that God gives us very good things. Yet, unfortunately, we take those good things and turn them into something more than they are supposed to be. When we read through Romans 1, right, at the very beginning, when he starts to talk about those who don't have the law, he says the things about God are plainly seen, right? We can see God through creation. And yet, what did people that saw creation do? Did they worship the creator? No, they turned and started worshiping created things. God gave us amazing and beautiful things. And instead of worshiping the creator because of those things, we started to worship the created things. God gave the Jewish people the commandments that we talked a lot about last week. And he gave them the right of circumcision to show his covenant. But instead of trusting in God, they began to trust in those rights. And they began to trust in the law. And when we put faith in things that we're not meant to put faith in, they make horrible gods. They are not meant to be our gods. They are not meant to save us. Yet the Jews were lining up and they were saying, this is, you know, last week we talked about it, right? You you guys have the law, you learn from the law and you, you teach other people the law, but do you keep the law? 
And the answer was, no, you don't keep it consistently. None of us do. And so then he moves on to circumcision. He's like, but now you're going to say, well, but we're circumcised. That makes us better. That gives us a right standing. It was just so you understand how ingrained it was in them that circumcision was necessary to have right standing with God. You read through Acts 15. We won't read it here because we don't have time. All right. But Acts 15, they had a church council because people were wanting, the Jewish party was wanting to say, you must be circumcised in order to be saved. You have to do salvation, but you also have to be circumcised. Otherwise, you, you can't really even be a part of the church or saved. So much so that this was so ingrained in them that they, Peter, or I'm sorry, Paul had to confront Peter. If you read in Galatians 2, right? They were eating together, Paul and Peter. Peter was eating together with Gentiles and everything was great. And then all of a sudden the Judaizers came in to the Galatian church. And Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter, I keep mixing these up. Sorry. Peter was the one that was struggling with this, all right? Not Paul. Peter started eating only with the circumcised because he feared the circumcision party. He feared what they thought. And he, he was so ingrained in him as having grown up that way that he began to do that so much so that Barnabas began to do the same thing. And so he was, they were thinking so much about circumcision and that it made them have a better standing with God, yet it does not. And Peter knew that. He just got carried away. And again, even their tradition, it, right, it would teach, their tradition taught that this sign was so important that Abraham stood at the gates of Gehenna and he would never allow a circumcised person to enter into Gehenna or Hades. All right, and now we don't know exactly what eternity is like, but I do know that Abraham is not standing at the gates of Gehenna checking whether or not people are circumcised. All right, that is not what is happening. That is not how you get into heaven. But this, I just want us to understand that it is, because it, sometimes we might read this, we're like, why, what's the big deal? Circumcision. All right, what is this was a huge deal to the Jewish church. And Paul is writing to a church that has a lot of Jews and a lot of Gentiles. And they're trying to figure out how to work together. And so this is important. He's already shown, right? Gentiles, you are not okay. You have, you have right? You are breaking the law. You guys are not good. Jews, you are breaking the law. He has shown us our ways of sin. And you're like, why? Why does he continue to hammer? Don't we get the point already? You know, haven't, we, haven't we, hasn't this been clear enough? Yet as humans, we always seek to justify what we're doing, right? We're always seeking to justify. And we can justify just about anything. We can make ourselves look better than anyone else, right? If we compare them the right things. And so Paul knows this of anyone. And so he's saying, I know I already showed you how the law doesn't save you, but you're holding on to circumcision. And you're putting faith in circumcision. This doesn't save you either. And I was reminded as we thought about like, because he says in the verse 25, he says, for circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law. And so it is a value if you keep the whole law. And he is showing, right, they were trying to justify themselves. When I was in college, I, I helped do a Bible study. And it was at a university called Northern Michigan University. And after the Bible study, we'd often go out to Burger King and then we would take people home or back to their dorm. All right. And so I had a Delta 88. That was my car. And if you've ever seen a Delta 88, it was from 1984. It was built all of steel. It's longer than a full-size extended cab pickup truck. It was amazing. The gas was cheap back then. So uh, 
It was all right. It, it used a lot of gas, but it was so comfortable. It was like big couches. So we, we drove that around, and this was the car we were driving. I was not driving in this particular instance, but this does not absolve me of guilt of what will happen. So we were driving a student back to his dorm, and we're like, how do we get back to your dorm? Because we didn't live there. So he's like, oh, just hang a left right here. Like, all right. And we're like, uh, that sign just said, do not enter one way, wrong way. It's like, we shouldn't be driving on this. And we're like, Seth, just drive. He said to turn here. I was being a bad influence, okay? That was wrong of me and my friend Caleb. But, we, but we're like, oh, it's no big deal. What's, who's going to notice? It's late at night. It's a Wednesday night. Nobody's going to notice. He's like, I got to get off this one way. And so the student, who also not the best influence, I forgot this person's name, sorry. But she was, he was like, you know what? Just turn left here on the sidewalk. And we're like, we were like, Seth, turn on the sidewalk. Because we were bored and we're like, why, why wouldn't you drive on the sidewalk? So Seth, succumbing to peer pressure, turned left onto the sidewalk. It was a big sidewalk. It wasn't like the little narrow residential sidewalk. It was as wide as the street, which is part of our justification for why we thought we could drive on it. So he starts driving down the sidewalk, at least at a reasonable speed, all right? Slow. And we're passing people. People are staring at us. Why are you driving on the sidewalk? We're like, we've got to get this person home. You know, it's reasonable. So we're driving down the sidewalk, and Seth is getting, because he's driving. I'm just laughing because I'm just sitting in the car. And all of a sudden, a cop car comes down at a much faster speed on the other sidewalk and cuts us off where the sidewalks intersect. Understandably so, he made us get out of our car. Understandably so, he made us get out of our car. And he started questioning us. He said, why are you driving on the sidewalk? And while he's questioning us, his partner is searching our backpacks and my car. All of my car. And he, so he's, he's, in, he's, you know, he's stalling because he's like, we're going to find something. These people are driving on the sidewalk. It's Wednesday. What are they thinking? And so he starts to go through. And he's like, why are you guys driving on the sidewalk? And immediately we're like, because he told us we could. Like, that is going to hold up. Oh, yeah, you're right. That guy told you you could drive on the sidewalk. By all means, you should be able to drive on the sidewalk. If this student at our university says you can, then you can do that. No, so we said that. We're like, well, we didn't know where to go. We're trying to get him home. We're just trying to be nice. We're giving all these excuses as to why it was okay that I was driving my massive car down the sidewalk. He didn't buy any of them, all right? And <laughs> while he's talking to us, his partner comes up and whispers. He's like, um, I searched their backpacks, and it is actually all books and Bibles. <laughs> and he was like, there is no alcohol or drugs anywhere in the car. <laughs> and so the, the main officer is like, how do, what? How do I make sense of the fact that you were driving on the sidewalk under no influence of anything? How can you be this dumb? Is what he was thinking. He didn't exactly say that. But we were continuing to argue why it was okay that we were doing this because we're humans and because we were dumb. And finally, he said, just be quiet. He's like, where do you come from? I was like, Iowa. He's like, do they let you drive on the sidewalks in Iowa? I said, no, they do not. So why do you think you can drive on the sidewalks here? I was like, that is a valid point. I am wrong. And he, he went around, every single one of us, same question. It's like, you're from Wisconsin. Can you drive on sidewalks in Wisconsin? I'm like, no. All right, and he made a clear point that we were idiots. 
we can't drive on sidewalks, and there was no justification for doing so. And it might seem painfully obvious, like, well, why were you guys even trying to? We do the same thing spiritually. God has clearly shown us through his word and through examples that we cannot earn our way to heaven. Yet we continually seek to try and justify ourselves by what we have accomplished. And as I was listening through um, a speaker, his name is David Powson, he said, he said, good deeds will keep more people out of heaven than anything else. And as you think through it, I would even amend it a little further. I would say faith in good deeds keeps more people out of heaven than anything else. Because we are constantly trying to prove ourselves. And it's, it's just within our nature that we continue to do so. And Paul is writing to these Jewish people because he wants it to be clear. Circumcision will not save you. And the first point of this passage is that outward circumcision does not save. Outward circumcision condemns. All right? Outward circumcision condemns. He says very clearly in verse 25, he says, for circumcision indeed is of value. And then he adds the important word. If you keep the law, if you obey the law. So yeah, if you want to lean on your circumcision, if you want to trust the circumcision as to why you're going to get to heaven, that is, that's fine. That's going to help you out if you keep all of the law. And how many of us keep all of the law? None of us, right? None of us do. And it, he talks about, Paul talks about this even further just to make sure that we understand this, that, that keeping circumcision is not a way to get to heaven. In Galatians 5, he says, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Circumcision is not the way to heaven. Outward obedience alone is not the way to heaven. It can never get you there. It can never make up for it. And Paul is making this very clear. He said, if you, because if you break the law, once you break the law, once you've set, started to go down this path and you say, I'm going to do it by circumcision, by outward obedience, once you break the law, then you're a transgressor. You're a breaker of law and your circumcision no longer stands to set you aside or commend you before God, it begins to condemn you before God because you have broken the law and now you are guilty of all of it, right? James 2.10, anybody who says he keeps the law but he breaks it in one point, he is guilty of all of it. And so Paul is making this very clear to them and he says that it becomes just as you are uncircumcised. All of a sudden, everything you were pinning your hopes on is no longer of value. And he said, then he gives another example just to further illustrate the point that outward circumcision cannot save, but it only condemns. He said, so if a man who is uncircumcised or a Gentile would keep all the precepts of the law, wouldn't his uncircumcision be regarded then as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written, written code and circumcision but break the law. And so he's even setting up a hypothetical of somebody who is uncircumcised, who would be looked down upon by any Jew and says, 
if this person kept the law, they would, their example in life would stand in condemnation to you. Because you are claiming to follow these very things, yet you don't. And you will stand condemned by the example of this person. Now, we know that there is no Gentile that kept all of the law. So this is just another example to make clear the point that circumcision is not going to save you. That following the law is not going to save you. And as we go through or not as we go through Romans 1 and 2, these have been heavy passages and good passages to think through. Because as we think through it, this is as I've been thinking through it even throughout this, this week, none of us, myself included, should feel good about our own goodness, our own righteousness. All of us fall short. Paul's going to get to that in Romans 3.23, a verse that everybody knows, right? All have, fallen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He has been laying this foundation for two whole chapters and will continue to do so. None of us should feel good about it. Sincerity doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. You are not going to work yourself there. Circumcision will not save you. And we think, we continue to seek to justify ourselves, And this was, a, this was, even as I thought through it, like an illustration that, that like even condemned my, or, you know, spoke to my own spirit and made me realize, you know, because even thinking back, right, to the, to the traffic laws and the traffic law that we violated by driving on the sidewalk. When I was driving on the sidewalk, did it matter that I had a valid driver's license? Did it, I mean, it mattered that I didn't get arrested probably, I guess, but because I had a valid driver's license, because I had passed the driving test, did that make it okay that I was driving on the sidewalk? No, that was further condemnation that I should have known better than to drive on that sidewalk. It didn't help me in that case. And the same thing as we think about that in our own righteousness, our own goodness, we, we often think too highly of ourselves. And we often give ourselves a pass for how we don't follow God's commands and judge other people for how they do. But if you were to think about your own traffic violations and whether you've been pulled over, right? Too often we think we get away with it, right? That God doesn't care because I haven't been punished or I haven't been caught. So this is okay. The way I'm living is fine. And I must be good before God based on what I'm doing. Well, what happens if we were to drive around, right? Like, and you, same thing, same way we think of traffic violations, right? Well, if I haven't got caught for speeding, then I must be all right, right? Or if I haven't been pulled over, then it's okay. No harm, no foul. But what happens if on your car, there was something that recorded everything you did? And maybe some cars have this, I don't know. Mine does not. Uh, but if it recorded every time that you went over the speed limit, maybe it recorded every time that you rolled through a stop sign because you were in a hurry, or when you cut somebody off in traffic, or when you gunned it at the yellow light instead of slowing down. Maybe, you know, what, what would that come back? If all of our reports came back, what would it show about us? We're probably a bunch of bad drivers, right? There would be a lot more traffic violations than actually we've been pulled over for. But we live as if God doesn't know everything we do. God is far more encompassing than that supposed device that would be on our car showing us everything we did wrong. God knows everything I do wrong. 
There is no hiding it from him. Yet somehow, sometimes I think and live as if I can keep it from him. Circumcision, good deeds, we do not do enough good to make up for the bad. And Paul is making very clear this to the readers of Romans and to us. And so we see, right, that they, they, they didn't have an excuse. They were actually condemned by all the advantages they had, but were not taking necessarily advantage of. And then, so not only does right, outward circumcision condemn, inward circumcision saves. And so if we just stopped at these verses, if we just stopped there, it would be, it would be heavy. It would be, man, why do we continue to get beat up, show how horrible and how sinful our heart is. We need to understand our own standing before God so that we can understand the amazing grace and glory of the cross. And he says in 28 and 29, says, for no one is a Jew or a true child of God who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart. It is by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is the hope of the gospel, right? This is what saves. And this is what, when God gave the sign of circumcision in the Old Testament, this is what it was pointing to. It wasn't pointing to the actual physical act. It was pointing to our hearts are sinful and they need to be circumcised. They, we need sin removed, the penalty from sin removed. And the only way that that happens is through Christ. And he makes this very clear. And, it, and this isn't just a new idea in the, in the New Testament. In Deuteronomy, if you read in Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy 30, he talks about circumcision and circumcision of the heart. Your heart is what matters. This is what God is after. And in Colossians 2, when we talk about what is inward circumcision or why is it so important, in Colossians 2, 11 through 15, this is what it, why it's a matter of the heart. It says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We are all uncircumcised of heart. We are all born sinners. And the only way that it is changed is through the circumcision of the heart, is through salvation. That is the only way to be saved. That is why it is a matter of the heart, not merely keeping outward rites or rituals. And I want to emphasize as we talk about this, this doesn't mean that obeying God and what he has said doesn't have any value. It is a value, right? Obeying God and doing what he has set before us has great value. It just doesn't save you. We have to have our hearts changed before we can live honoring lives to him. And so we do need to live in obedience. It was good that they followed the rite of circumcision that God gave them. What was wrong was that they put their faith in the circumcision instead of the God who gave it to them. 
And that is what we need to be reminded of too, in case we are thinking like as we sit here, well, you know, I never put my faith in circumcision, so I'm not like these Jews. Well, some of you put your faith in baptism and that you were baptized and that's what's saving you. And and instead of actually trusting in Christ, you're trusting in what you did. Some of you may be trusting in the fact that you said the right words at a certain time. We do need to confess Christ in order to be saved, but our faith must be in him and not in the words that we said. And too often, sometimes we, without realizing it, we begin to put our faith in ourselves and not in God. And so I don't want us to be judgmental and think, oh, well, we're nothing like that. I've had to battle this in my own life, even this week, as I think through the many ways in which I'm putting more faith in myself than in the God who saved me. And so we need to be careful that our faith is in Christ, that we are not trusting in something else or something good that he gave us. And so it is, he said, it is a matter of inward. It is a matter of the heart. It is by the spirit and not by the letter. Salvation comes through the spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates our heart and it is not by the letter of the law. It doesn't mean that the law is bad. It doesn't mean that God's word does not show how we have eternal life. It just means that the, God's word points to Jesus Christ. And that is where our faith rests. And if you want, if you have time this afternoon, I would even read through 2 Corinthians 3. And it talks about this. I'll read just a couple of the verses. But it says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And again, it's not that God's word does not give us life. We find life through the word of God, but we find life as, it, as we trust Christ and know him through his word. Right? There is a wrong way to read God's word because when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees in John chapter 5, he said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But these are the scriptures that speak about me, and you refuse to come to me. So the law by itself kills. The law by itself condemns. The law, as it says in Galatians, was only meant to lead us to Christ. It was a tutor given to us to bring us to Christ, and that is the fulfillment. And so if we're trusting only in the law, that will lead to death. It will lead to division. And so we see that the gospel is through the spirit, not by the letter. And that his praise is from man, or not from man. We read that correctly. His praise is not from man, but from God. All of this is done for God's glory, not our own. To seek God and his glory, not my own glory. And again, this is our tendency is to seek our own glory and to seek that of others because Jesus, when he was talking to those Pharisees where he said that they were seeking the scriptures, but they refused to come to him. He continues on and he says, I have come in my father's name, says this in John five, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you would receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. 
for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus' point is this. You are putting all your hope on the wrong things. These Pharisees, the, even the people in the contention that was happening in the Roman church, were putting their faith and their trust on the wrong things. Instead of putting their faith and trust in God, they were putting him on the things that God had given them. Whether it was circumcision, creation, the law, those things in and of themselves cannot save and wrong focus makes them have horrible effects. They are good gifts from God, but they need to be seen through the light of the gospel. And so, as we, as we close, as we think through this, and as we think about communion, um, I just want to close with, you know, as, as we think about Romans, Romans 10, skipping a little ahead, and we'll get there, probably like in a year or so, but we will get there in Romans 10, He's reiterating because of the fact that we are human, right? And we continue to struggle with the same thing. He reiterates this in Romans 10. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that I have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's, to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who believes. That is where it is all pointing, and that is where we need to have our faith. And he ends, and just a little further in, in Romans, in Romans 10, 10, he says, For with the, mouth, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so as we think about those things, as we go to communion, some of you here today may never have actually put your faith in Jesus Christ. You may be trusting in the works that you have done. You may be trusting in what your family has done. You may be trusting in something outside. You may be trusting in something that God gave, yet you are not actually trusting in God's son that he sent to die for our sins. Jesus alone paid the penalty for our sins. And so you must place your faith in him. And if you have not done so, today is a great day to do so. Because there is no way to get good standing with God outside of placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And you may be here today and you may have already placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but like me, you need to be reminded about the sinfulness of your own heart and what you're trusting in as you walk through life. Are you continuing to trust in Jesus or are you trying to do it on your own? Are you continuing to compare and contrast and look at other people? Because once we start to lose the heart of the gospel and spirituality, we start to focus on the external and we start to divide and to fight and to bicker among ourselves because our focus is not on Christ. It is on ourselves and our own selfish desires. And any time we stray away from Christ, we start to focus on the external as opposed to the heart. So may God continue to use his word to examine our own hearts as we partake in communion. So I will, I will pray and again, communion is for believers, people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is a time of reflection. It is a time to 
confess and to pray and to praise God. And then we partake of the elements and remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And if you haven't, then by all means, please pray. And we would pray that you would ask, you know, if you have questions about salvation, that you would come talk to one of us. But reflect on your own heart. Pray to God and just, and then we will gather the elements and then um, Pastor Josh will lead us in partaking of the elements um, when the time comes. Father, we thank you for your word. You are faithful to us, even though we fall short time and time again. Lord, may you use your word to change hearts, to continue to grow us and to change us. Lord, to bring people to know you as Savior and then to help us to walk as you would have us to walk. Lord, that we would walk by faith, trusting in you and not by our own trying to work out our own righteousness or even our own vision, but Lord, that we would rest and trust in you. Lord, just use your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.